ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus 25. And then if you could, um, we got some heavy lifting today. There's a lot of verses that we're going to be in. I'm going to explain why. I want your minds ready to do a little work today, but um, where I tell you to kind of go in the Word, it's very important you keep up, and I want you to see it. And so go to, very Scripture heavy with all of the places that we are, put a tassel, it's going to take us a minute to get there, church, but put a tassel in Hebrews 9. Put a tassel, get those highlighters out. We're going to start in Exodus 25. I told, asked Brent if he would if he would read those, those verses before this morning's service, and uh, now I've gotten to a point. If there's a bunch of big words that I don't want to pronounce, I just give them to other people, and so it's called passive aggressiveness. And so he did a wonderful job. And so we're continuing to see this morning. Uh, if you were here last week, or, or you're a listener at home. We continue to see the big picture of God's story. And we get to see how the Old Testament, if you were here last week, this is what we pressed in, how the Old Testament, um, it's all of its story and character and deepness and at times confusion just gives very clear weight and strength and glory to the New Testament. And so we hear so many people say, I've, I've heard it so many times this year in Exodus, where people will come to me and go, Hunter, people have told me even within the church, don't worry about the Old Testament. Don't worry about it. Even we are a New Testament church. Those are old stories. And man, it is done literally a disservice to you. Because when you start to know God's word, and this is the point of the message today. When you start to understand the history, it gives so much of a greater love to the present. When you understand the history, it creates a greater love for the present. So on that thought, I asked my wife, this was a a last night thought. A last night thought. Fourth quarter type idea. I asked my wife on that same idea. I said, hey babe, do you remember the the first time the first time I ever said I love you to you. And so she didn't know I was going to use these examples, so she thought maybe I was just being sweet in the moment, but I'll know I was finding material, right? And I said, hey, babe, do you, do you know when the first time I ever said I love you, I couldn't remember? Maybe some of you guys do that have been married for a while. I have kind of forgotten the date and time, right? But my wife knew. She was, Hunter, um, I know exactly when you said it to me for the first time. Um, we were, of course, not married, not engaged. We were only at that time dating about four months in, right? So you know that whole four month I love you that's really sincere, which is a nice way of saying I kind of like you, right? Um, stay with me. I'll say whatever I need to say. Don't leave me. So four months into the game, I said, hey, babe, I love you. She said, you were living in that small, cramped duplex in downtown Jackson, Tennessee. She says, I know where we were sitting. And you looked at me and I said, who said it first? And she said, oh, you said it first, Hunter. I still don't believe that one. I think she probably told me, but (laughs) she said that I told her first four months in. And here's the truth, guys. If you guys have been married and you've been married for any amount of time, 
you know how this works. Four months in, looking back on it, I don't know if I loved her or not. And that's not a joke. Your story is the same. Maybe I loved her. That was 20 years ago. And so looking back on it, like how I view my wife today, 20 years in, from dating to marriage, like is very different how I was looking at my wife four months in, right? So maybe I loved her, maybe I didn't. I don't know. But I do know that I love her now. And so today... With my wife, love is something very different than it was four months in, right? And so today, I know every square inch of my wife's life. I've seen every child and baby picture. I've heard every story. There's nothing new. And I'm way past the idea of, like, I need something spontaneous. I would much rather have something stable, right? You start getting to this age and like stability is way more um, exciting and attractive than something new. And so now my wife and I are in this relationship where I've heard every story. I've seen every picture. I know every square inch. I don't remember the last time she's told me something. And I was like, really? Right. I've heard all the stories. I've seen every picture. I know her good days and her bad days. I've heard all of her jokes. I know how she parents. I know how she loves. Kiss the woman a million times. I know every square inch. And in that time, not only do I know all about my wife, but I've experienced all things with my wife. My wife has sat with me burying every single one of my family members. Every grandparent, every parent, every sibling. My wife sat with me every time. And so history with this woman has created a love today very different than the love when I first told her, right? History creates a love. The more time that we spend with, the more that we know, the more that we cry on, the more love grows. History creates a greater love. This is something that I think weakens so many of us in today's faith. I think so many of us in the Bible Belt all the way across the world globally, I think many of us have been raised in the church. We know a few of the scriptures. We've gone to Easter service. We know what Christmas is biblically. But you and I live a four-month faith with the Lord until the day we die. And so, yes, you have said, I love, but you haven't said 20 years deep, I love, right? Like you haven't walked with the Lord in death. You haven't walked with the Lord in knowledge. You haven't walked into the Lord with obedience. You haven't cried upon the Bible. You know four months of faith. And so this morning, I want to encourage you because, like I said, it's a lot of reading. I've talked to a lot of people about chapter 25 and this whole Ark of the Covenant And I've asked, do you know much about it? And they say, Hunter, not only do I not know much about it, I don't know if I want to know much about it, right? I haven't met one person. I've talked to a lot of people. I haven't met one person said, hey, Hunter, when you start on Exodus 21, man, I was just like counting down the days. When 25 comes, everything is going to make sense. No, this is heavy lifting. This is deep digging. 
A lot of us don't know when we start getting in the trenches of Exodus, not only like how this is important, but why this is important. And this is what I want to press in on you. The more you know about God's word is the more you know about God and it drives us to a greater love with his son. God calls us to know his scriptures well because it is good for us. And so what we are doing this morning in all of our scripture reading and dot connecting, we are sitting across the table sharing coffee with the Father, getting to know Him better because history creates a greater love. You follow me? And so what we're going to be doing today, very few people do, very few people know, and we're going to camp out and see what God has in store. So look at Exodus 25. So we're going to do some history lessons and then we're going to see Jesus come to life in all of it. And it's going to pour into our everyday life in 2022. How does the Old Testament give life to the new? Look at verses 1 through 9. So if you haven't been here, remember God gives the Ten Commandments. God gave the Book of the Covenant last week. They shook hands in agreement to this covenant. It was sealed with blood. And now we have God setting up camp and living in the midst of them. Verses 1 through 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering on which you shall take from them, gold and silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair and ram skin, dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stone and stones to be set in the ephod and in the beast plate and let them, we highlight eight, eight. Verse 8, in that one sentence, it is the entire sermon. That is the entire sermon, so please highlight 8. From my little ones to the ones who've memorized it. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I'm going to read it again. If If it's hard for you to keep up, this is the entire sermon. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furnishings, just so you shall make it the way that I've told you. So all throughout history, there have been many structures made by man. All throughout history, there have been structures made by man that are mind-blowing, hard to explain, take your breath away type buildings. And so for some of you guys, you have been blessed that you have gotten opportunities of of leaving Huntington. And maybe there's some things in Huntington that take your breath away. But for some of you, you have traveled and you have seen things that you've only seen pictures of in books, right? And you go there and you go, man, I can tell I'm not in Carroll County. This is amazing, right? So for you guys that have been to New York, um, you've seen pictures And where 9-11 happened, you saw the Twin Towers. 
And so we weren't able to see the Twin Towers, but we saw the Statue of Liberty. And not only were we not able to see the Twin Towers, but we saw the monument. For you guys that have gone with us, every year we go and we see that structure that goes deep into the ground where they were. And every time you go, there's just silence. Like no one's laughing. Kids aren't throwing things. It's a memorial that will take your breath away. It doesn't stand vertical. It goes into the ground, right? It's amazing. It might not be where 9-11 happened in New York. It might be the pyramids. And when you look at the pyramids in Egypt, especially the great one, it is so amazing that scientists and historians even have a hard time of even explaining how it exists. That's why a lot of our thoughts and theories go to like aliens because man can't come up with an idea of how any of these are actually formed, right? You look at beautiful structures like the Taj Mahal and you go, man, can you imagine something being like that right here, right down from the tractor supply, (laughs) being able to go anytime you want? Man, even the picture will take your breath away. Man has done many wonderful, hard to imagine and fathom, breathtaking things with their hands, but nothing from the beginning of the times, the ark Noah built included, compares with the tabernacle of God. The tabernacle of God was an important structure, was the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament. And what was fascinating by this church, here's the history lesson for you. It was built not by these wonderful architects, but by a bunch of former slaves, homeless men and women in the middle of the wilderness. And so it might not look very impressive to you, but the imagery and the story that this place that you see, which is an actual place today, you can go, it's like a replica You can go and see it today, actually in Israel. This was this place of this spiritual, biblical, mobile home that you could pick up and take with you. The imagery behind this is that God left the mountain, Mount Sinai, came and he pitched a tent in the midst of the people. I told you to highlight eights. And let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. That I may dwell among them. And so what my brother Brent read is that the mountain was on fire. It was covered in smoke. Man and God, man submitted to the authority of God in the book of the covenant. God comes off the mountain and lives in the midst of the people. That is greater than any skyscraper, pyramid, ballpark that man has ever seen. And Exodus 25 is the pinnacle of what man has done. And that is the dwelling place of God. In verse 10, and they shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits. They shall be in length, a cubit and a half in width, and a cubit and a half in height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. And you shall overlay it and you shall make it a molding of gold all the way around. So I want you just to take a second, get out of sermon mode and let me teach for a minute. What you see here is you see kind of like a border, a fence that they could easily kind of take up and move. So this wasn't some place they could stay. They would put this together and they would move with it. And so you see the tent in the middle. The tent 
looking at the actual dynamics, which is very much like Noah's Ark, it was a tent-like structure that was 45 feet long, 15, 15, um, 15 feet wide. There you go. 15, 45 feet long, 15 feet wide. And in this tent-like structure, it was put into two rooms. And what you see is the first room that you would go into was the holy place. And then there was like a curtain. There was a veil. And we've read about that even in the New Testament. And outside the veil, when you would go in, that was called the most holy place. Or what some people would see is the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies held the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to go down, skip down to verse 22. So in the midst of... The Holy of Holies, the most important structure in this tent-like structure, it says, And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. And from between the two cherubim, which are, between, uh, which are of the Ark of the Testimony, about everything which I give you in commandments to the children of Israel. And so what would happen, church, is once a year... The high priest would take all of the prayers and all of the desires and all the pleas. He would take them from his family and the people and he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would pray not only for himself, but he would pray for his people and he would pray for his family. So I had Celia have a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, which was held in the Holy of Holies. This was also a box that was very simple in nature. It looked very much like this. It was four feet long, three feet wide. It was covered, as I read to you, in pure gold. On the top of it, on the mercy seat, which is the lid, were two angels also in gold. And around, you can kind of see where those bars are, the poles. There was four rings holding this because you couldn't touch it. And so I want you to remember where we've been as a church with Mount Sinai. What did God keep telling the people? He says, I am here for you. I have saved you. I am God the Father, but I am reverent in your nature. Do not run up this mountain or you will what? You will die. You will perish. And so they put these poles on because God said, do not touch the Ark of the Covenant. So you've seen all of those Egyptian movies where the men are carrying it on their shoulders. And so they had those poles and they would carry it like that because they knew that they can't touch it. So you know the story of Indiana Jones. He couldn't touch it either, as cool as he is. We'll get to that in one second, though. I want you to see 12 through 16. It says, You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and you shall put them in its corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, and the ark may be carried by them that way. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall, you shall put the ark of the testimony in which I will give you in it. And so as I saw that picture here, talk about not being able to remember telling my wife I love her for the first time. I really don't remember this scene in the movie, even though it's a great movie. And so I started researching the Ark of the Covenant, reading all of these commentaries. And with every commentary that I would read, he would always say like five or six books. It was kind of like Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
And I was like, man, even for my spiritual studies, I might need to go back and watch this movie. And so we went back and we started looking at videos and tapes. And that's literally the scene of the movie where they would go look for the Ark of the Covenant. And just like biblically, they couldn't touch it. So do you remember that scene in the movie? Where one of the men run to it pure of gold, wanting it for himself, and he touches it and he perishes? Biblically, the same thing happens. We see in First and Second Samuel the story of Uzziah and when he died, when he touched it. And so what we see is the same with Mount Sinai, the great reverence and seriousness of what we read about the presence of God. So right there where you see the two angels and you see the top of the Ark of the Covenant, that is what's called the mercy seat, which is literally just kind of the top that covers it. And so once a year, people would come in And they would make their sacrifices, all the high priests, and they would sprinkle blood on top of it for the forgiveness of sins for themselves and their families and for their people. I told you there's some reading, but I want you to see it. Go to the next book after Exodus and go to Leviticus 16. I want this to make sense to you. I don't want to just read to you this morning. Look at Leviticus 16. Now later... In the story of Moses and Aaron, Aaron becomes a high priest. And so Aaron in the story would be like much like myself. Like you would come to Pastor Hunter with your prayers and then I would go to God, right? And so Aaron becomes that in the people's life. And just look at the scenario about how people conducted themselves in the tabernacle of God in the Old Testament. Look at chapter 16, verse 11. And it said, Aaron, if you haven't been here with us, Aaron is Moses' brother. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. Now, church, what does atonement mean? Atonement is the process that we were once separated and now we become one for the forgiveness. And so we see that the blood of the bull made this possible. And to make an atonement for himself and his home. And he shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is from himself. Now skip down to 14. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the mercy seat, the top. And on the east side and before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some with with all of his fingers seven times over. And then he shall kill a goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring his blood inside the veil and do that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat again and before the mercy seat to the east, to the west. And so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all of their sins. He would do these things. And so he shall have the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes to make atonement in the holy place. You following me, church? This is how things were in the Old Testament. Until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his house, and for the all of the assembly of Israel. So Aaron becomes high priest. He is pastor. And so what you would do is you would come to the priest and you would bring the pleas of your family and for yourself. And then the pleas would go in through the pastor, the priest to God once a year on the day of atonement. And so here's my question after we get through some of this history. Where is Jesus in Exodus 25? 
How is Jesus shown? Where does the gospel speak? In this tent in the middle of the wilderness constructed by a bunch of homeless people in this box made out of gold used for the Indiana Jones movie sprinkled on top with bull's blood. How does the Old Testament in Exodus 25 give life to the gospel today? Now I told you to go to Hebrews 9. Here is the gospel. You have read this many times. We know the story. But understanding Exodus 25 gives it weight, gives it power, brings it relevant to the history behind what we know. It grows our relationship with Christ. Now look at Hebrews 9. I need you to stay with me, okay? Look at Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 15. But Christ came as high priest. So do you see it? But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and the calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, whom through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We're going to keep reading, but I want you to understand what we're hearing in Hebrews. We are hearing in Hebrews that when Christ came, the Old Testament law was fulfilled and it became greater through Christ. He is our high priest. There is no more blood sacrifice of goats and bulls. He has paid the permanent price. He has bought our salvation in 15. And for this reason, he is our mediator. He is our mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So when Jesus comes in the New Testament in the Gospels and he hangs on a cross and he dies for our sins, he is our new mediator. He is our high priest. He gives eternal redemption. There is no more David Evans coming to Hunter Jones on a yearly basis for the forgiveness of his sins. No, what does it tell us in the Gospels? That the veil is torn and we have access to God. Why? There is no more running up and down mountains. We are not in need of Moses. We are given Christ. And the cross is our mercy seat. The cross is our mercy seat. And now in the New Testament, in your life and mine, salvation comes by placing our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Do you see the weight understanding the history of Exodus 25 in the tabernacle of God and the Ark of the Covenant and all of its reverence and tradition and law? Understanding the Old Testament gives light and clarity and weight and strength and glory To the gospel. God wants us to know him in greater depths than four months of dating. These verses that we have read and the pictures that you have seen, 
They might be hard to digest and challenging to keep up with and dots that are hard to connect and things that you've avoided in your past. Just give me the four months of dating sermons. How does this fix my marriage and how does this fix my kids and my money? I got issues. Hunter, I want to come to church and I want you to tell me that it's all going to be okay. Those are four month dating sermons. God wants you to know the history. He wants you to know his life. He wants you to know the word. It brings a greater love for your present life today. Now, the temple of God, you don't have to flip. I want you to read. I want to read this one to you. Today, in 2022, after the death of Christ, one thing that hasn't changed, the tabernacle, the temple of God still exists today. It's just not in the wilderness And so today, the dwelling of God still very much exists and is still met with, supposed to be met with great reverence and seriousness. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, flee from sexual sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual, sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belongs to God. Today, I want you to think back at all the texts that we just read, and I want you to Think about how God told them to construct the the tabernacle of God and the Ark of the Covenant. God created earth in six days and it took him 40 to teach man how to do this box right, right? And so I want you to think of the reverence and the respect and the seriousness of the Ark of of the Covenant and the tabernacle of God. And now I want you to think about how you treat your own life, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and how we constantly are spraying graffiti on it. With all of our sins and our lack of reverence, our lack of repentance, our pride and our lack of humility, our selfishness and our addictions, our disrespect for God's church and His people... I want you to think about during this time if people treated the church or the temple or the Ark of the Covenant in half the way that you do. The reality is, is we are sinners today and you will die sinners. But I believe that so many of us run to sin and refuse to repent of it because we have a poor understanding of the love of Christ and the true depthness of the story of God. Where you are at right now in the book that I hold, God's church that you belong to, and His people that you fellowship with, the spirit that dwells among you. Hear me, church, if you have lost me. This is serious business. This is serious. We live in this weak culture where you think that you can just say what you want to say and behave in what ways you want to behave and you rationalize your sin, you chase after addictions, you worship other idols. Think in your mind, if God was so serious about a box in the Old Testament that was filled of gold and they couldn't touch and once a year the priest would go in and pray to on your behalf 
If God thought of that, why would he not think that today is just as serious? Why are we so comfortable with sin? Why are we so comfortable with a lack of reverence? Why are we so comfortable with addictions? Could it be, I know we are sinners, but could it be that we just do not have a great understanding and knowledge of the story of God? Maybe I loved my wife at four months. Maybe I did. But the more that I know my wife, the more that I know of her, the more time that I spend with her, my love is obvious. And you know how it is shown? It is shown that it has transformed my life to being a greater husband, a greater father, and a greater friend to her. You know that I love her by how I treat her. And so your salvation begins before time existed. Do you realize this? Do you understand that Christ has made new that which was once broken? We just sang it. That Christ has saved what was lost. That he has exchanged punishment for reward. That Jesus loved and he was coming for you before not only you were born, but before he was born of this earth. Your story begins in Genesis 1. He stands with you in the highs. He stands with you in the lows. And when you read Exodus 25, that has nothing but everything to do with you. Why? Because everything points back to Christ and Christ points everything back to his love for you. Let me ask you a question as we close. This morning, do you know the full story of God and do you love his son, Jesus? Let me put this on you. I know there's a lot of history. I know it was a lot of verses. I know there's a lot of dot connecting. Do you know the far reaching story of God and would you profess to love his son, Jesus? And has your knowledge of the depthness of the story of God made you fall in love with his son, Jesus, which has transformed your life? As I gave you the example of my marriage and my bride, there are many people who have been married many, many years and said, I love you many, many times, but do not show any type of love for their spouse. You have known them, you have met them, you might be one of them. A ring and a wedding dress does not mean that you love them. And so many of you, you have lived a life where you said, hey, Hunter, I love the Lord and I know the highlights. Maybe you do and maybe you don't. I don't know. It's not my job to judge you. At this church, Brent talked about it on Friday morning at the Bible study. At this church, I've, I've heard so many times these testimonies from people that would come to me and go, Hey, Hunter, I was raised in a pew. I was baptized when I was eight. I got a Bible with my name on it. I've gone to church camp. I got a cross necklace. All of those things. But now I am 35 years old and I do not know of this Jesus you are talking about. How could that be? How could that be? And could it be because you don't know him? And because you don't know him, you do not love him. 
And so what I am pressing in on you today is to see the fullness of the story of God and how the history of God brings us to a greater love of his son. God has given you greater. God has given you better. And God calls you today just like he called the people of this book then. If you are saved, this is how we closed. If you are saved and you profess to be, Hunter, how do I know? I get that one a lot. Hunter, how do I know? If you took Christ away from your life, would your life look any different? And I mean actions. Your behavior, your thoughts, your desires, your behavior, your reverence, how you, how you love and how you live, how you treat one another. If you took Christ out of the equation, he did not exist. Would your life look any different? Because when God pitched a tent in the midst of these people, it changed everything for them. God lives today and he lives within you and it should change everything about you. We are still sinners. You will die one, but it should transform your life. Do you see it? Do you see it? Does your life look any different? Do you know God and do you love his son, Jesus? So as we pray here, I want to encourage everybody. Say this almost every week. I am not naive to think in a room of 200 something people that we're not all saved. And I think there will be people of Matthew 6 and 7 that stand before the Lord and they think they are in good standings just because they said, I love you to God four months into the relationship. I don't know if you do or not. But the idea of loving God is that I am filled with his spirit. I am passionate with his son and I've been transformed by his life. And if you go, hey, Hunter, that is not me. Then I am encouraging, I am pleading, I am begging you to pray, God, save me. Save me. If you are in a space today where you say, Hunter, I am saved. I know I am saved. But I am right now, as we all are, we are living in sin. I pray that you drop to your knees. You run to the altar. God, forgive me. I don't have to wait for a year. I don't need Aaron. I don't need Hunter. I don't need Moses. I have the spirit. I have direct access. God has shown me that. I see the goodness of Jesus in the tradition of Exodus. I see it. I know it. I love it. God, forgive me. Repent, repent. Every Sunday, the altar should be full. Every Sunday, the altar should be full. We should be grabbing our hands and our children, of our children and our wives, our husbands. We should be dropping to our knees. This is a tradition that died a long time ago, and your pride just sits with you. Fall to your knees. God, save me. God, forgive me. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I know that we saw so much dot connecting and we saw so much history and we saw the, the height and the width and the length of golden boxes thousands of years ago and at times we're bored with it. We don't know how the Ark of the Covenant a golden box sprinkled with goat's blood has anything to do with our life. Well, it has everything to do with our life because it highlights 
the Christ, the Son who came for our life. We see the new covenant, the blood that was shed not by goats, not by lambs, not by bulls, but by the Son of God for one reason, and that is to save mankind. That is the Jesus that so many of us don't know. Lord, I know that there are people in this room right now that are lost. They are in a four-month-year relationship. A four-month relationship with God, just saying, I love you, wondering if they even like Him. Lord, I pray that if your gospel has taken root in anybody's heart and they know they are not saved, Lord, I pray that they experience salvation today. Let them not leave this place. And Lord, if anybody here is saved, they are one of yours and glory waits for them, but they are sitting in their sin. They have been crushed by their foolishness and their ignorance and their disobedience, their anger and their pride and their selfishness, their brokenness. Lord, I pray that we seek forgiveness for the only one who can give it. That we don't have to wait once a year. We are given forgiveness daily, Lord. Let us not sit in the quicksand that kills us. Forgive, save, continue to love. In your precious name, the church says in harmony, amen.